Okay, we're going to read in a moment. I'll uh, read this text, but first a little bit of context. This is the first Sunday of Advent. So these uh, Sundays uh, are for us to prepare ourselves to look, wait, uh, prepare for the coming of the Lord. Uh, that's what we're meant to do before Christmas, before we get to the turkeys and the mince pies and the Boxing Day walks and all that sort of thing. Uh, this is a season of waiting and watching prayerfully. That's why we did 24 hours of prayer last night and there was uh, members of the church keeping vigil through the night. I don't know if you're on the prayer WhatsApp and all these prayers are going off on the phones all night long, which is fabulous to see and to wake up to this morning. So well done to those of you who kept watch. Kept watch through the night. That is what, that is, we're rehearsing in that little 24 hours of prayer, what we are to be as a people, keeping watch, keeping vigilant. So that's the theme that will sit over the, over the top of this season. And we're coming, in this Mark chapter 13, we're coming to something called the Olivet Discourse. This is where Jesus is on the Mount of Olives with just a few of his disciples. It's recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And here we have it in Mark 13. And it's not an easy passage. Heads up. Um, it speaks of two comings. We're only going to look at the second half of this chapter, but there's two comings described. And that's because Jesus is sat on this mount. It's just outside Jerusalem. And they're looking. He's looking with his disciples just across the way there at the temple. The temple. And he's describing on the one hand a day that will change their world and that will be an intense moment when that temple that they think is not only a mighty structure with these huge stones that they describe to Jesus in these, in these words, but also represents the presence of God, the presence of God with his people, the temple. And Jesus is saying that temple will be destroyed. It will be a terrible day. And Jesus says, I'll tell you something about the timing it's going to happen within your lifetimes, within this generation. You're going to see those words come up in just a moment. So he's talking about that thing, but he says there's a bigger thing. And it won't just change your world, it will change the world. But similarly, it will be a, it will be a great day. And on, on that occasion, for that occasion, you will know not the day nor the hour. And you'll see those words coming up in our reading as well. So when you look at Mark 13 or Matthew 24 as it is, or Luke, um, as they record these things, Jesus is doing this thing. He's saying, look, you're going to see this temple get destroyed and it will be a momentous occasion. You're going to actually see that within your lifetime. Now, this is going to serve you as like a trailer, as a preview, as something to look at and remember this is what the, the great day of the Lord will look like. So that's just a little introduction. There's lots of language in this text, which is the, the technical term is apocalyptic. It, loads of the sun and the moon and shaking and the earth and the heavenly bodies all shaking like this. And the clouds and the Lord coming on the clouds. All of that, the only thing I want to say about that is that when we read something like the clouds here, we're not necessarily thinking about, you know, the water cycle or the weather. We're thinking more in terms of how the Lord appears to his people when he comes. At the Exodus, when they're coming out of Egypt, he, he leads his people out in a cloud. 
When he descends on Mount Sinai, it's the giving of the law, he is enshrouded in cloud. When the temple is built, the Lord descends in a cloud into that place. And so we read in uh, Psalm 97, that's why the psalmist describes him as the Lord, um, about whom are clouds and thick darkness, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So when you see in this passage that we're going to read Jesus talking about clouds, you're thinking the presence and power of the Lord rather than, oh, he's going to come on a sort of slightly drizzly October-like day uh, where there's clouds in the sky, right? So all of that language in this passage is meant to evoke these ideas. And of course, when Jesus spoke it to his disciples, these guys were steeped in the understanding of the Old Testament. That's why we need to read our Old Testament, right? So you know when you read your Old Testament, you're like, what's that all about? What's that all about? Don't know what that's all about. Well, you just slowly, all those ideas will be just going in. And then you read something like Mark 13, like, oh, clouds and sun and moon and all this stuff, all that language is meant to evoke help us understand what Jesus is talking about, right? Okay, let's read it. Should we read it? Here we go. So this is Mark 13, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 24. Just listen to Jesus here. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly I tell you, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly... Do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So first of all then, speaking about that day, did you hear it? He says, but on that day, Jesus says, no one, that for that final day of my coming, no one knows the day or the hour, so be on guard. Be alert. You don't know. You don't know when that time 
will come. So be on God. Make sure, he's saying to his disciples, then and now. Make sure that day, that future day, governs, controls, gives perspective over today. So Martin Luther, Martin Luther was a, a very, very well-known reformer of the 16th century who once took a load of theses and nailed them to a door. Remember that guy? He said, he once said, there are two days in my calendar. Today and that day. That's how he put it. What matters is what I do today and what I do in the light of that day. See? That future day. Now, you might be here as a guest. Very warm welcome if you're here as a guest to St. John's or you've come with a friend or whatever it is or you've come for the first time and you've walked up to church this morning and you've thought to yourself, they're talking about some future second coming. What have I brought myself into here? What on earth is this? You're looking for the exits. You're thinking, how do I get out of this situation here? Isn't this all a bit fanciful? A bit weird to speak about a great and fearful future day. Well, Jesus is calling us to be a sensible people, a people who think about this sensibly. So let me just give a little illustration with um, an elderly, a more senior uh, citizen, a a senior figure amongst the church, perhaps an 80-year-old. Um, you would think it, you would think it not quite right, would you, if someone of that age and vintage had not considered for a moment the day that they might die. If you're that kind of an age, you would be foolish, wouldn't you, if you didn't think about that and how that was going to pan out and what you should do with uh, your possessions, etc., etc. Similarly, to obsess about it, to become over, overly preoccupied with that would be weird. Now, a lot of there is a lot of weird over preoccupation with the day of the Lord, which is probably unhealthy. Uh, but similarly, you can fall off the wagon the other way to never think about it. To never consider about it, to never give it the thought and time of day would also be foolish, says Jesus. Keep watch, he says. And so that's why we have Advent, actually, in the church year. We sort of devote four weeks, just ahead of Christmas, to pause, think about that future day. Four weeks and 52. That's the kind of portion that we set up in the church. Four weeks of 52 in the year, we're going to think about that day, specifically. Jesus is calling us to be a a people who reckon with the day of his appearing and make the right kind of preparations, so be sensible. Think about your day in the light of that day. So I've likened it, if the the 80-year-old thing wasn't quite so um, relevant to you, think about it like this. Um, When you go into a clothes shop, and you buy a new piece of clothing. Um, If you're taking the process seriously, you will go and you will uh, go into a little booth, you know, a little sort of changing room, and whatever you've got, your new dress or your new pair of jeans or whatever it is, 
and you'll put it on. And if you're particularly astute for matters of clothing and dress and all that sort of thing, you will know that um, the artificial lights of that room, that little booth that you're in, and the sort of slightly weird surround, you know, it's just generally whitewashed walls and a curtain or whatever, is not what it's going to look like in the real world and under the light of the sun or under more natural lighting conditions. So you're thinking to yourself, well, well, it looks a bit like this now, but in, you know, this is a very artificial surrounding, this is a very artificial setup, the artificial light, etc., etc. So you think to yourself, right, what's it going to look like when I'm actually out and about and in the sunshine or whatever? Now, similarly, Jesus is saying, look, look, your conversations today, um, the things you decide to do today, the attitude you take today, what you need to do is imagine what's that going to look like in the light of his appearing, in that summer sun. In the summer sun, that is the light that will endure, isn't it? See? Jesus is saying, no, that's the light you need to be ready for. That's the kind of light that's going to shine. So, that conversation you've got to have with a friend, someone in church, that decision you're about to make, it's going to cost a lot of money. Um, that attitude you're taking at work, at home, how does that look? Not today, not in this sort of artificial passing age. How does it look in that future summer light? Jesus says, watch. Think about it. Think about it. Now, why is it, second question, why is it that it's, uh, the timing of this day is unknown by design? Jesus makes that super clear, doesn't he? Really clear. The day and the hour is not known. Why? Thought about that? Why is it set up in such a way that we're not known? It's, it's an unknown thing, this future day, and when it's going to happen. Well, one answer might be, well, why should we know? Uh, we are not God. And God's action in the world is frequently surprising. I mean, when you create a world and a whole universe that is known only to the Lord God, and he did it at a particular time, and that was that. And of course, he came in Christ, first time round when he came as a baby in a manger. That was known only to the Lord. It was a surprise. It had, of course, God's people were watching, waiting, but the day and the hour of his coming the first time were unknown. So in a sense, that's God's prerogative. He knows these things. Could we even bear it? In truth, it's slightly arrogant, isn't it, to think that we could handle such information. So weighty, so momentous. Perhaps it's slightly arrogant to imagine that we could handle knowing such things. But I'm encouraged by the words of Jesus here. Did you see what Jesus says? Let me repeat to you. He says, but about that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, 
nor the Son, but only the Father. So can you see that Jesus, isn't it a wonder? Jesus himself is happy, content. Even you might go so far as to say prefers that he should not know of that great day. Why? Because he says through the Gospels, I would rather actually just live my life in dependence, trust of my Father, knowing that he knows these things. These things are for him and his knowledge. And for me, as his eternal son, I will be happy to be dependent upon him. Now that's the Son of God speaking. I would rather be in that place of dependency upon a Father in heaven who knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus says that. And he models for us a similar dependence. Isn't that lovely? Lean on the Lord. Make this an opportunity to depend on him. That's what he seeks. Depend on me. Trust me. This information is too much for you to bear. So trust me. I've got it. I've got it. You just keep watch. I've got it. Jesus says, it's like a man going away. This is verse 34. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. So he says, look, you're, it's not that you're going to be without things to do. There'll be lots to do. You're going to have tasks. You're going to keep watch. The owner of the house will return. I'm entrusting you with that. Right? There's lots to do. It's going to be a, a busy and productive era, this era of the church. But when the return happens, that's not for you to know. So I thought, I did a little, um, I sat down, I, I got probably a little bit too into this. But I imagined to myself, what would Christmas look like, right? Just imagine this, if uh, the date of Christmas was not released. You just knew that Christmas Day was going to happen at some point, I don't know, between October and January or something like that, the winter months. Only one person, I know, could pick someone, President Elon Musk, I know, we could rotate it. Someone, someone holds an envelope and uh, Christmas Day is known only to them and then they will reveal. That, I don't know, it'll be announced on the internet or something like that or on uh, the news, or something like that. And then, all of a sudden, 6 a.m. on Christmas Day, oh, by the way, it's Christmas. And then all the shops are shut, no public transport, no one goes to work, or whatever. That usual sort of Christmas shenanigans. And you just have to, so throughout the season, you just got to be ready, it could happen any moment. It'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? At least do it for one year. You wouldn't have this weirdness about sort of all oh, just crazy shopping and all that kind of, you'd have to do it slightly differently. I, was, I got so into it, I was starting to thinking, how would you do the turkey? So I was thinking, you've got this huge turkey, but you've got to keep it potentially for like three or four months, so you've got to freeze it. But then on the day that Christmas is announced, you've got to have, have to thaw it. How do you thaw a massive turkey in time for lunch? That's not going to be easy. So I don't know, you couldn't do turkey. You'd have to think, or you'd have to like cut it up into little pieces so you could thaw it in time for lunch or something, I don't know. Anyway, could you imagine 
It'd be quite fun. Maybe we should do that one year. Just locally. <laughs> who, who wants to? We could put... That'd be fun. We'll put it in an envelope. We'll choose when we're going to celebrate Christmas. And all of a sudden, you've got to quickly get a carol service together. Do it now. Just everyone just pile into church. That sort of thing. Now, interesting though, isn't it? That we are so... We're so used to running Christmas with everything. We just know exactly how it all runs. Christmas Day, Boxing Day, blah, blah, blah. Jesus is saying, no, it's not, it's not quite like that. It's not going to be like that. So your preparation is, you've got, there's things to be done. There's appointed tasks. We know that that's true. But the day of my return, you don't know. And that's God's prerogative. But... Finally, um, what is our confidence for that final day? Is it possible to have a settled heart and a peace that doesn't fear or fret about that day? After all, the the Bible speaks of this day. You've, You've heard the words in the reading. I'll read them again in a minute. As a day of the Lord... Um, a great and terrible day is described by the prophets. A day when he will judge the world with justice. That's what it says in the book of Acts. An apocalypse, an unveiling, a sudden unveiling. You know when you have those, um, you know when someone has like a statue and it's covered in a big red blanket or whatever? What do you call it? Not blanket you know, sheet. And then suddenly, zoom, that's an apocalypse. Suddenly, that was nicely timed. <laughs> uh, a sudden unveiling, an apocalypse. Um, a day of revealing, a day when tables are turned, a day when, Jesus describes it like this, the first will be last, the last will be first. And every eye, every eye will see. This is this whole sort of rearranging going on. Now that, and, and, and just the, the, the language of this passage, listen to how Jesus described it. Again, it's this kind of apocalyptic language, but sun darkened, moon not giving its light, stars falling from the sky, heavenly bodies will be shaken. This is not like the first coming. So no one's got any problem with Christmas. A little baby, you know, in a manger, lovely. Not fine. That's great. We'll make some nice Christmas cards out of that. But this great day is described with um, language, symbolism, that is uh, designed to get our attention and to be taken seriously. Now, we tend to, of course, when we think about the day of God's justice and coming, we tend to sort of think, well, That would be a good thing for the earth. I mean, we're crying out, aren't we? The earth is full of injustice. And you think, will justice ever happen in that country for those people in that situation? There seems to be no justice for them, for there, all that sort of thing. So yes, the world needs a day of justice and everything put right. And maybe you might think to yourself, well, that person needs a day of justice. Got someone in mind? That person needs the day of the Lord. Finally, 
finally, that person will get exactly what's coming to them. We can say, we can sort of sit on the judgment throne ourselves and think, I tell you, Lord, what that person needs. A bit of this and a bit of that sort of thing. Um, but, but this day is, we, well, it is the height of self-indulgence, isn't it, to think that that day will be for them and not for me. Um, in Psalm 130, the, the Bible gets real when it asks a very honest question. And it says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who would stand? A guy called Francis Schaeffer uh, did a, had a little way to think about this day of the Lord and his judgment. He said, imagine you have a a sort of invisible um, recorder on your neck and you trigger it. The way it works is it suddenly switches on and starts recording whenever you are pointing out someone else's faults or whenever you say that person ought to or that person should have or that I wish that person would act in a little bit more whatever, right? It kicks in. Whenever you say something like that, it just starts recording, right? Now imagine, okay, you come to the end of your life. Here we are on the great day of the Lord. And the Lord just sort of says to us, look, I'm not, I'm not going to judge you by the Ten Commandments. We could, could do that, that way, but I could, but let's just pop that to one side for a minute. I'm not going to judge you by the life of Jesus or by, you know, any other text in the Bible or whatever. I'll just, I'll just grab that, that that invisible tape recorder about it. You know, what, what tape recorder? That, that, that one. Oh, yeah, okay. So off it comes. He says, I'll just, I'm just going to use those things that you've said, those ways in which you've measured others. I'll just use that, shall I? And you're like, if we're honest, if we're honest, you're like, ooh, yeah, maybe not. So we know it don't we? Even if we, even if we apply our own standards, even if we apply our own standards, the Lord's like, even if I just take your standards, it's not going to go well for you. Now, this is the Lord who is, who is going to hold up the highest standard, the Lord Jesus Christ, and look at that in comparison to our lives. And so what's our confidence in the light of this great and final day? How is it that we might speak of this day as something we long for and we wait for and we're expectant for? Well, this is my closing thought, right? And I want us just to get this. This is important. In Mark 13, Jesus talks about the sun being dark, going dark, the sun being darkened and the moon not giving its light. Now, Mark 15 Two chapters later, when Mark's describing the crucifixion, he says, darkness came over the whole land. Take Matthew. When he's writing about this event and what Jesus says, he says, on that day, the earth will be shaken. That future day of Jesus coming, the earth will be shaken. And in Matthew 27, when he's describing the crucifixion, he says, the earth quaked 
the rocks split and the sun went out and there was total darkness. Now, I don't know if you've ever pondered this, what the events around Jesus' crucifixion, it's not just like a special effects show, right? It looks like a day of judgment. It's meant to look like, when you look at it, you think the sun is darkened, the moon not giving its light, the stars falling from heaven, the earth and all the heavenly bodies shaking, the whole of creation shaking at this event because it's a day of great judgment. The thing, therefore, is that Jesus, when he first came, experiences an abandonment, a death, a darkness, a shaking, such that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that when he comes a second time, we don't experience death, darkness, abandonment, forsakenness, but life, light, a receiving into God's kingdom. These words, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You see that? A Christian, this is the gospel, isn't it? A Christian is someone who looks at the first coming of Jesus and notices there was a day of great judgment that fell upon him with darkness, abandonment, death, a shaking. So that because it's fallen there on him, because he took that at his first coming, surrendered himself to it, first as a baby in a manger, then on trial and on a cross. Because he suffered that great judgment day of the Lord, so we at the second coming of Christ only experience his presence as light, life, goodness, future, communion. Perhaps when we have bread and wine in a moment, just ponder that. The reason we can look with anticipation, urgency, yes, but hope and joy. We can even long for the appearing of King Jesus is that first off, he endured a terrible day of God's wrath that we might receive um, his goodness, his light, his life his peace, communion. So Jesus says, keep watch. You do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, at midnight, when the cock crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Let's pray. Should we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer?
going to pray this special prayer for Advent Sunday, this collect for us. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armour of light. Now in the time of this mortal life, in which your Son Jesus Christ came to us in great humility, that on the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.